0: To start with our message here in Isaiah. I wasn't going to start in Isaiah because I know leading up to this service we've already looked at this a few different times, but I thought God's word never, never grows old. Like I could read it like 10 more times today and probably enjoy every minute of it. So hopefully all of you enjoy it as well. And this passage in Isaiah 53 is just such a wonderful prophecy of what Jesus was going to do for us. But it was written about 500, 600 years before Christ came. And we see here in Isaiah 52, beginning in verse 13, it says, See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured, and his form marred beyond human likeness. so he will sprinkle many nations, and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they had, for what they were not told, they will see, and what they have not heard, they will understand. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the Lord, arm of the Lord been revealed? He was opposed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living, for the transgression of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for us, offering for sin, we will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, you will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. So he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Now I love this passage in Isaiah. There's a few technical areas that, you know, I like to point out that there's no way they would have known 500 years before that he would have been pierced that wasn't even a traditional Roman way of pro, of hastening the death, but we talked on Good Friday about how the sacrifice for the Jewish people had to be perfect, no broken bones. And how the Romans normally would break the legs of those that they were torturing. But yet Jesus gave up his spirit and was dead before they got to that process. And so one of the Roman soldiers took his spear and pierced Jesus in the side to see if he'd react, to see if he was still alive. So he was specifically pierced. He had been whipped beforehand a lot of times people say, well, was that traditional? And we see that Pilate really didn't want to kill Jesus. He could see that this was just a religious issue and that the the leaders of the temple were were jealous of him. And so at first he had whipped him and kind of hoped that would be enough. Look, he's been punished. And they said, no, crucify him. So he was whipped. He was beaten. He was pierced. These were all things that were a little bit different than what they would normally do if they just simply crucified somebody, we also find it interesting how it was very specific and where it says he was assigned a grave with the wicked when he was dying on the cross. Those were wicked men they were being punished right they were they were thieves, they were robbers, they were murderers, and their grave would have been just a community dump area and the rich in his death, it says. I find that passage so interesting. I wonder when, when the prophet is hearing from God and writing down exactly what God said, if he thought, that doesn't make sense, God. But I'll write it down, that's what you're telling me. Here he was assigned to go off with the wicked in his death, but then, as we've read on Good Friday, and we'll see again today, a, a rich man came and said, please may I take his body, and they put him in a... Carved a tomb and sealed him up. So he actually was with the rich in his grave Even though he was assigned to be with the wicked and the poor And we can we can go through all how he kept his mouth shut and how he reacted and and in parallel all those things but what really I want us to get today is how many times it talks about our iniquities and then in other places, it talks about our transgressions. And for most of us, we're like, what's the difference? What is he saying? Well, our transgressions are those one-time sins. You know, I, I remember one time, I was probably nine years old. I was in the grocery store in, with the neighborhood kids, and there was this display of candy, and we were going to steal a piece of candy. And the first girl went and took a piece and went, and the other girl went and took a piece, and I went and I took a piece, and we all ended up in the parking lot. We unwrapped our little piece of candy and we chewed it up, and it was this like, it was this red hard candy, and it was real sweet, and then, but when you chewed it up, it was like gum. And I remember the the shame and the guilt as a nine-year-old taking that piece of candy and like... For years, every time I walked into that store, I thought, they know, they know I took that piece of candy. I couldn't ever enjoy that red candy again. I'd put that piece of candy in my mouth, and that, that shame. And for me, shoplifting, stealing, that was the one time, and one time only. For me, that was a transgression. And some of us have those moments, right? We can look back and we can say, oh, I did something maybe once or twice and I'm just i not tempted to do that again for whatever reason. That for me is just a transgression. But for others, it's what we call an iniquity. Iniquity is sin, but it's ones that we struggle with, that we're tempted to do, that we do over and over and over again. That's why it says the iniquities of the fathers pass on down to the sons. What you learned, what you what was mimicked to you in your house is now something you do and it's now something you struggle with But what's so interesting is that when he went to the cross it wasn't okay I'm gonna go to the cross for your one-time sins, but if you're struggling with sin Guess you're going to hell If he did that then none of us would go to heaven because we all have some sort of iniquity We all have something we struggle with there's there's no way that we're able to be perfect that's why jesus had to come because the law was not enough and galatians chapter 2 verse 21 says if righteousness could be gained by the law then christ died for nothing we can't be righteous by following the law we're only able by following and believing in christ and what he did forgives us In Isaiah 53, 5, it says, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Now, every single time we take communion, I remind you of this, and I can't avoid it today of all days, but when he went to that cross, He didn't just do it so that we can go to heaven when we die he went to that cross so that way our entire being could be brought back into a relationship with God and we are made in his image so just like there's father son and Holy Spirit we are made in his image so we have three parts as well we have body soul and spirit So Jesus was the body of God, the Holy Spirit's the Spirit of God, right? And the Father, who is full of his emotions and his relationship with us, that's the soul. So we're made in his image. So I have a soul that has my emotions and my relationships while I'm here on earth. Then I have my spirit that is connecting with God. And then I have my body, and if he came just to say, okay, your spirit is, is connected now with God, and you, you know you're going to go to heaven when you die, but, but your body while you're here on earth, you're going to have hell on earth, or your soul while you're here on earth, you're not going to have any peace, then that wouldn't really be a complete salvation, would it? It would only be saving part of me. But when he came, he came to save all of us. And he wants us to be able to walk in healing. That's why I love this so much. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. That's our spirit peace. If we know that, okay, yes, not only am I forgiven for my one-time sins, but the things I'm still struggling with, what he did forgives me for that, and, and, it, and it connects me with that. So even though I'm still struggling with that iniquity, I'm connected to God. I, I'm, I've been made clean. I've been made a new creation in Christ Jesus. And the punishment that brought us peace was on him. Now I can also have peace in my soul and my emotions and my relationships here on earth. Because he wants that for me. And by his wounds, we are healed. So now when I go to him and I say, heal my body, I don't have to doubt. Well, what is his will, Mary? His will's been made very clear. He wants us healed. I loved it when there was like a blind man and and, uh, he had come up to Jesus and, He said, he said, you know, do you want to heal me? You know, what is your will? And Jesus says, yes. Every single person who came to Jesus for healing, he healed them. And he wants these things for us. I'm always reminded by the Our Father prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven every day. I'm supposed to pray for heaven on earth And every day Satan right the thief he comes to steal kill and destroy And he wants me to have hell on earth But Jesus said in John 10 10 I have come so that you may have life and may have it to the full He wants for us to have a full life for our entire being in Titus chapter 3 verse 4 says the kindness and the love of God our savior appeared he saved us not because of righteous things we had done but because of his mercy he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the holy spirit when he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our savior so that having being justified by his grace we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life I love that. I'm not justified by my actions I'm not justified by my good works. I'm not justified because of anything I am able to do I am justified because of his mercy and his grace and I am saved because I believe in him He says that the washing of the rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit. It's interesting that Jesus dies on the cross, and on Sunday we see that he rose again. And my belief that God loved us so much that he sent that Messiah to reconnect my relationship with God makes me have a new birth jesus had said i must go so that the holy spirit must can come and when we have that holy spirit in us we become born again but in our spirits in john chapter 3 jesus tries to describe this to nicodemus and nicodemus is like most of us he's like what so i love this passage it's in john chapter 3 says now there was a pharisee a man named nicodemus who was a member of the jewish ruling council he came to Jesus at night and said, "'Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher "'who has come from God, "'for no one could perform the signs you are doing "'if God were not with him.' "'Jesus replied, "'Very truly I tell you, "'no one can see the, heaven, the kingdom of God "'unless they are born again.' "'How can someone be born when they are old?' Nicodemus said. "'Surely they cannot enter a second time "'into their mother's womb to be born.' Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and of the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, You must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. I love that. He's like, you're not going to physically see the birth. You don't physically see the wind, but it is there. So when you believe in Jesus, you've just had a birth, even though you didn't see it. But it's been happen- happened in your spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen. But still, you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the man, son of man, must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. What I find really interesting is if you're not familiar with Moses and lifting up in the snake in the wilderness, there had been this, this this plague of snakes that had been sent out because the people had been complaining and they were biting people and they were killing them. And God told Moses, go and put, you know, put an image of a snake on a stick and hold it up in the middle of the camp. And anyone who looks upon that snake, if they got bit by a snake, they will be healed. And again, it was going through the act of obedience to obey what God was telling them. So they all, that were bit, were able to go in there and look at that snake, and they were healed. And he uses it as an example of, look, son of man, he's going to go up on this cross. He's going to be up and displayed just like that snake was displayed. And everyone who looks upon him, we are healed. But it's not just our physical body. It's also our soul for peace. It's also our spirit with being restored and forgiven. So that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. That was verse 15. Verse 16 says, For God so loved the world, Yes, they make me so happy. Can you guys hear the kids? Doesn't that make you so happy? You know what I hear? I hear our leaders downstairs having fun. I hear our next generation down there learning about God and having joy when they come into the house of the Lord. Like, I hear something so beautiful. It's actually better than what I hear in here, even though you guys are awesome. But the kids, like, uh oh, I would like gladly like be quiet if I was interrupting them because they're they're having so much fun. I just I just love it. They got the whole drum set set up down there, so pretty soon, you guys, they're gonna really have to turn me up because those kids are gonna be banging on those drums and they're gonna have the electric guitar out. And but I, I've thought about we can get some pink insulation and put it in the rafters down there if we really need to, but we we, we won't interrupt them. But I love this, how this passage is so clear. He goes from saying, Nicodemus, when you believe, when, when, I, when I'm putting up on that pole and I'm displayed and you finally believe that I came to save, and when you finally understand that and you believe, then you, your spirit is reborn. You have now have come to this completion. But what's going to happen is you might feel condemned. See, we always forget, why did Jesus even come? We go all the way back to Adam and Eve, and we have to be reminded. They were told not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they knew that God was holy and they were evil. And that became the problem for mankind. Because now all of a sudden, I don't deserve to be in the presence of a holy God. Because God still showed up that night for Adam and Eve. And he looked around and said, Adam, where are you? And Adam replied with, I was naked, I was afraid, I went and hid myself. Mankind rejects God when we don't feel worthy to be in his presence. God doesn't reject us. So that was the first time where he said, okay, the seed of the woman of virgin birth will come and will crush the serpent. He'll strike at his heel, but he will crush his head. When we think about Good Friday, that was the heel being crushed. Satan thought, oh, I killed him. He's God. God came down in flesh. He went down and he took care of some things, and on Sunday he rose again. He says, now try to stop it, and it's not stopped ever since. For 2,000 years, the message and the love of God has spread from country to country and nation to nation. I remember talking to a man one time. He had been raised as a Christian, and he had spent some time in prison where he was introduced to the Muslim faith. And by the time he came out, he found himself in a place where Christian ministers were ministering to him. And I remember talking to him after a service one time, and he came up to me and he said, I got some questions for you. I said, all right, let's have it. He began asking me some questions. And it just so happens that I feel it's very important to understand where people are coming from. And so I have done my due diligence to understand the Muslim faith. And so every question he asked, I knew the answer, and I talked to him about it. And he said, I've asked over three or four pastors these questions. You're the only one that actually knew the answers. And he finally got down to what he really wanted to ask. He said, How come when I pray to Muhammad, nothing happens? But when I pray to Jesus, something happens within 24 hours? And I looked at him and I said, Because that is the true God we serve. There is power in the name of Jesus. And he doesn't look at you and say, well, you're Muslim one day and Christian the next, so I'm not going to help you. He looks at you and he says, you are my child and I love you. And if you ask in my name, I will answer. The question is, is what are you going to do now? Are you going to continue to be this faith one day and this faith another day and you're not sure what you're going to do? Are you going to just make a decision? He ended up praying with me that day gave his life to the Lord, rededicated his life to the Lord. But what was interesting was it wasn't about what I had to say. He had already tested it. He had already gone to God and said, are you going to answer my prayer? Jesus was promised. So that way our relationship would be restored. Restored. And Satan has learned the easiest way to get us to walk away from God is to by making us feel condemned, by making us feel like we 're not worthy enough to be in his presence and guess what me all by myself, my her- earthly person i'm not worthy to be in his presence i 'm not worthy to ask in the name of Jesus and have him answer me but I don't go to him because I am worthy. I go to him because I believe in Jesus, and I am worthy because of what he did on the cross. I put on his righteousness. His righteousness makes me worthy, and that's the whole point. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in Jesus is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. The only people that are condemned are those that do not believe in Jesus because when they stand before God, they stand all by themselves. They've been invited to believe in the one who is their advocate, and they have rejected that. And they say, I'm going to stand here by my own power. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but the people loved the darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. I love that. It's not fear that I'm human and I made mistakes like everybody else. No. The only ones that do not accept Christ are the ones that are fearful that it's going to be exposed. I do evil, but it's exposed. I know God sees it. The next verse says, But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Being a Christian doesn't mean that we stop doing bad things because our iniquities sometimes follow us all the way to the day we die. Some of us, right, some of us are able to overcome an addiction or whatever those things might be in our life. But for some of us, they're the ones that, they're what kills us. But I don't stand before God in fear. I stand before God in faith and knowing that what Jesus did on the cross makes me now righteous and able to come to him. I love when you read through, like, the book of John, especially towards the end, about chapters 14, 15, 16, right before he's going to go to the cross, he's talking to the disciples, and he was saying, up until this point, you've just asked me because I've been here with you, but I'm going to go, and now you're going to be able to talk to the Father directly in my name. And what's really cool is he goes into detail and he says, now the Father's not going to listen to you, you know, by me telling him what you said. No, the Father's going to listen directly to you because when you go to him in my name, you've now been reconnected with your relationship. That relationship he had with Adam before he ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is the relationship he wants with us. He wants us to have that direct relationship with him. In Romans chapter 10, Paul tries to explain this. It starts really in verse 9. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call upon him. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, if you're not familiar with the letter to the Romans, it was a divided Christian church there were Jewish Christians that were telling the Gentile Christians that they had to follow the law. And as you read through the letter of Romans that Paul wrote to that church, he would say to them, you're not saved because of what you do. You're saved because you believe. So as he's taking this moment to say, all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, he says there is no difference between the Jew who has the law and the Gentile who doesn't have it. At this point what he really wanted people to understand is your salvation is no longer determinate by the law your salvation is determinate based on your belief in Christ now the benefits of the law are still there I still have a benefit to wash my hands before I eat so I don't get sick I still have the benefit of isolating when somebody dies of a disease we still do that to this day, right? COVID happened, and you're, if you're exposed to anybody with COVID, don't go back around anybody, quarantine for 10 days. Where's the first time I've ever read that? Oh, in the law, in the Old Testament, it says if somebody dies and it wasn't a clear accident, you don't know how they died, and you handled the dead body, go and quarantine for 10 days before you go be around your family. Why? Because you don't want to spread the disease. So there's benefits to the law, but the law doesn't, isn't what causes us to have salvation so we've looked at the why why did Jesus come he came so we could be saved but the bigger question is now what I understand why he came but now what do I do with this okay Mary I believe in Jesus I'm still gonna go home today and have hell on earth What you know what is it how does it change my life what, right what do I do with it so let's read and see what happened on Sunday. We're going to start in Luke chapter 23, starting in verse 44. It was now about noon. This is, this is actually the day of his death. We're going to read a little tiny bit, and then look at look at It's going to continue. It was now about noon, and the darkness had come over the whole land until three in the afternoon. For the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this he breathed his last the centurion seeing what had happened praised god and said surely this was a righteous man when all of the people had gathered to witness the sight saw what took place they beat their breasts and went away but those who knew him including the women who had followed him from galilee stood at a distance watching these things now there was a man named joseph a member of the council a good and upright man Who had not consented to their decision and action he came from the Judean town of Armedia and he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus's body then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen cloth and placed it in a tomb cut in the rock one in which no one had yet been laid it was preparation day and the Sabbath was about to begin the women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body had, was laid in it. Then he went ho- they went home and prepared the spices and perfumes. They rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. Chapter 24. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of the sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all of these things to the eleven and to the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the apostles who, with them who told these to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen laying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. Now the same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked among them but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, how are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? What things, he asked, about Jesus the Nazareth. They replied, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had... And what is more, it is the third day this took place. Early this morning, but they couldn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it, just as the women said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, Jesus explained to them what was said in all of the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged strongly, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread and gave thanks, and he broke it and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. Now the passage here in Luke goes on and Jesus appears a few more different times. And we know that he appeared for over 40 days and when he finally ascended there was over 500 witnesses. But when I say the now what for us, I want us to think about this road experience to Emmaus that they had. The first thing that I love is that he walked along with them. They were truly curious. They were truly questioning. They were truly wondering. When you are truly questioning, when you are truly wondering, when you are truly asking God, what do I do now? He will walk with you. But he doesn't walk with the people who don't invite him in. Ask him for help. Ask him to show you says, as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly, stay with us. So many times we come to church, we feel his presence, just like they are saying, didn't our hearts burn within us? And then we leave this place and we don't say, stay with us. I don't want to just have a two-hour walk to the next town with you. I don't want to just have an hour here once in a while with you. Stay with us. Stay with me. God is a gentleman. You can believe and understand and be a Christian and know that Christ died on the cross, and you can receive salvation when you die. But you also have the ability to call out to him every day in every way and have heaven on earth while you're here. You can say to him, stay with me. His word says that he will never leave us nor forsake us, but he's always sometimes the quiet one in the room waiting for you to ask for help. He's there with you. The question is, do you want his help or not? Free will is is a wonderful thing. But sometimes we get mad at God when he doesn't. Why didn't you just intercede? Why didn't you just step in and do something? But then when somebody comes in and takes over, we're like, hey, hands off, buddy. I got this. We have to make a decision that if we feel like it, if we don't feel like it, if we're feeling condemned, if we feel wonderful, that our feelings don't determine whether or not we cry out to him and urge him to stay with us and be active and to talk to us and to reveal to us. My encouragement to all of you is to remember what was promised in Isaiah. Don't be like the disciples who say, Jesus was here and we thought he was the Messiah, but he didn't save us the way we were expecting Don't be like that. He he revealed to them how the prophet said. Look, this is what he was doing. He wasn't here to take over the Romans. He told them before, governments are going to rise and they're going to fall. I am here for your soul. I'm here for your spirit. I'm here for your body. We've been able to take Christianity and survive the Romans and the Apollon and the Nazis and whatever world power has tried to come over Christianity isn't about overthrowing them, and and Christianity is about God being with us in the midst of that storm. So here we are today, and he hasn't changed. He wants you to have peace. He wants you to have healing in your body. He wants you to have forgiveness and connection in the Spirit. Why? So I can stand before God with the knowledge that he is good and I am evil, and know that I am still worthy of having this relationship with him and asking him for help, and his blessings will continue to fall down over me. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you so much. We understand the why Jesus came. But now, what are we going to do with that knowledge? Are we going to simply walk out of this place and know that when I die, I go to heaven? And while I'm here on earth, I'm going to just do my own thing. Or am I going to say, not only do I want heaven when I die, but I want fullness of life while I'm here on earth. So I urge you to stay with me. Help me when I am frustrated. Be with me. I give you permission to whisper in my ear. I give you permission to walk with me. And talk with me. Help me to hear your voice. Help me to walk in love. Help me to understand the benefits of your law. And help me to never, ever feel condemned or feel shameful when I'm in your presence. Because you already know all the things I struggle with, and you are the only one that can help me with them. Father God, all of us that are here today that want more, Out of our relationship with you, we are asking for your help. Fill us with your peace. Bring healing to our bodies. Cover us with love and forgiveness. May our spirits be reborn. May your Holy Spirit come into us. And as we leave this place, may we have renewed hope. As we remember what Christ did on the cross. Because he rose again, he conquered death in the grave because he is God. And his love for us never fades and can never be taken away. May we receive that love. In Jesus' name, and all of us who want that today say Amen. 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 Well, I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful week. Don't forget that the blessing shop is open. There is a sign up in the back if you're interested in helping with the lawn care. And we hope to see you all again next Sunday at 10 a.m. Thank you. God bless.